Let us hear God's word, Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. Well, as we have seen, especially here in verses 3 and following, uh, Paul has provided for us one of the best summaries of the gospel that he gives to us in all of his letters. He begins in verse 3 by saying, we were terrible sinners, just like the rest. But when God's kindness and love came and appeared through Jesus Christ about 2,000 years ago, he saved us from the wrath of that we too deserve for our sin. Now, God saved us by works, just not our works. He saved us through the work of Christ. Our works uh, can't be used because we never do anything perfectly, but Christ has. And so Jesus mercifully obeyed God's law perfectly in our place and then received the judgment that we deserve for our sin. But God also saves us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus accomplished atonement 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. But how does that affect us today over here? Well, the Spirit is the one who applies the work of Christ to us whenever we live and wherever we live. He regenerates us, he washes us, he renews us. And so whether we live uh, live before or after Christ, whether we live in Jerusalem, Western PA, or anywhere else, this is how we are saved through the work of Christ. He did it. The Spirit applies it to us now. But as we have seen all along, Paul is not speaking to us abstractly about salvation. Because God has done this for us, he is saying, By his mercy to wretched sinners such as us, we then should treat the unbelievers around us in society, the strangers, the neighbor, the fellow citizen, even the rulers, with kindness and love, just like God has shown toward us. And so here's his overall point. All right, now if you look at your handout here just a moment, and uh, the sentence structure, we come now to the last part of it. And uh, again, I've done this for us just to help us to see when Paul has a complex thought that extends several verses, putting it like this can be very helpful. 
And so as we've seen, he started in verse 3 with one sentence, and then verses 4 to 7 is one sentence, broken down uh, in this way. So when God's kindness appeared, he saved us, is the main point. And then prior to that, it's not by our works, but his mercy. Following that is through the work of the Spirit. And so now Paul expands upon that. And he says here, first of all, whom he poured out upon us abundantly. So he's flowing out of the the last line. The Holy Spirit is is who's been poured out now. And it's uh, the Spirit's been poured out through Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the first thought to follow. And then the reason why, the ultimate purpose, is that we would become heirs. We would receive an inheritance as God's children. And then there are two more lines that explain this. The first one looks to the past, having been justified by his grace. And then it ends with the focus on the future, according to the hope of eternal life. And so here's how it fits together. So first then, let's look at... Um, the first part of verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly. Paul is saying here that God the Father is the one who has poured the Spirit out upon us, and he has done so beyond measure. <clears throat> now the word here for pour out obviously gives us the image of a liquid, a, uh, a fluid of some kind that is poured out. And of course we might naturally think, of water. So let's turn here uh, to Acts chapter 2. We'll look at uh, several passages to um, expound on Paul's thoughts here tonight. And so in Acts 2, we see uh, here at Pentecost, um, verse 4, <clears throat> first of all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so as the disciples were waiting for the Spirit to come, and when he did come, we see that they were filled. So again, you, you think of a container that's being filled with uh, a kind of liquid. But then if you look down at verse 17, Peter then, as he explains these events, quotes from Joel 2, and it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and so forth. So here's the, the, the exact word and idea. And so fill might be if you will, the opposite idea, the passive, the receiving, we are filled up. And uh, this verse is emphasizing the pouring out, the more active idea that God does. And then if you look down at verse 33, Peter says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And so obviously Paul is picking up on this language and these ideas. And he is saying that uh, the Spirit has been poured out on all believers, not just the 120 that were in Jerusalem, not just the people who came for Pentecost to celebrate, but even us today here in western Pennsylvania. We too have been doused by God, poured a bucket over our heads, as it were, like um, uh, we see after a you know, football game or something like that. They are standing out in the rain like the boys have been doing the last few days, trying to get people to honk as they go by. They're just doused. Here, of course, the idea is with the Holy Spirit. And then note the adverb at the end, abundantly. God does not give us a few drops of the Spirit. We are drenched by him. 
and not just for some believers like at Pentecost or even uh, in Crete, but all true believers receive this uh, dunking, so to speak. Um, And so it's not surprising then that the sign of the new covenant is water because it's referring to the work of the spirit within us. This outward sign that we have here, our little font, right? I dip my hand into it and I pour it on the head of the little child. And so Kevin and Des will have a baby here in in a couple months and we'll we'll see this image. And, And so this pouring is, is uh, uh, communicated by how we do baptism. Now, sprinkling is also an appropriate form or mode of baptism, uh, but pouring is, is most clearly um, mentioned here, especially in the New Testament. And so uh, we see these connections. But again, Paul's not talking about the outward sign, though certainly it's related. His primary point is the work of the Spirit. The spirit that works within us, not just outwardly on our bodies. So as we sung this uh, wonderful hymn, I, I remember as, um, I don't know, maybe five years ago or something like that, I think it was the Munsons picked that hymn, and I was like, I did, I'm not aware of that hymn. And I've come to really uh, appreciate that one, another Margaret Clarkson hymn that's uh, so good. And uh, anyway... It's the same spirit that brooded over the waters, as she says there, right? Genesis 1, verse 2. The same spirit that came upon Samson to help him defeat Israel's enemies. The same spirit that fell upon the disciples at Pentecost. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that has been poured out on us, on all of us as believers. And so we have this great power in us so that we can live lives of holiness as God's children. And so to our main point then, when Paul commands us to submit to our governing authorities, when he tells us to relate well to our neighbors, when he tells us to be humble, and so on and so forth, we have the spirit that's going to enable us. So whether we go to a township meeting, or whether we are standing in line in Agway, or we go to a Pirates game, or whatever it is, right? We have the Spirit in us to enable us to relate to the people around us, to strengthen us, and uh, be godly here in these ways. All right, now, Paul's next um, um, thought here is given in two, two lines, right? So God poured out the Spirit abundantly, And then he says first, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so it's not just the Father that gives the Spirit, the Son does as well. And so through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Father sent the Spirit through Christ. Now this idea of means, remember we talked about the Spirit is the means last week, now here Jesus is the means by which the Spirit comes upon us. So let's look at a couple passages here. Let's turn first of all to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus says these words, uh, verse 26, the end of the chapter, John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and so on. 
So here Jesus says that he is sending the Spirit, and he does because he's the means that right, the Father uses in this way. So the Spirit comes from the Father and proceeds through the Son. If you turn uh, to Luke 24, uh, just one other example here. In Luke 24, verse 49, right, uh, at the end of the chapter, Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And so, of course, as we looked at Acts 2, hey, that's when it happened. So, <clears throat> it's not just the Father sending the Spirit. It's not just the Son sending the Spirit. But the Father sends the Spirit through Jesus. Now, the... the uh, uh, the doctrinal way that we describe these things, and uh, I believe it was Dale made mention of this in Sunday school this morning, um, right? the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. This is the language that we used based on these biblical passages. Okay? And so uh, in Matthew 28, verse 20, at the very end, when Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? Jesus is not here with us. He's at the right hand of the Father. But he sent his Spirit, who then is with us now, every day, as his, um, as his children. All right, he is upon us. He is in us. Okay. <clears throat> now, obviously we're addressing mystery here. Uh, we cannot fully comprehend how the Trinity works. How does the Father, Son, and Spirit work being three persons yet one God? We cannot fully wrap our minds around this. doesn't mean it's not true. doesn't mean it's illogical. Uh, but it is beyond our comprehension as finite beings. And so Paul is speaking uh, to this matter here. Now if we come back to Titus, and uh, the next line that he gives us is uh, uh, an in order that. Uh, line here, in order that, or so that, we might become heirs. Okay? God saved us, it's through Christ, it's through the Spirit, in order that, for the ultimate goal, that we would become heirs. Or you could say, children of God, that we receive an inheritance from our Heavenly Father. And so the reason why God sent his spirit through Christ, the reason why Christ came, who appeared, right, God's kindness, his grace, his love, so that we would become children of God and thus inherit heaven, inherit eternal life. And so here we are, right, verse 3, these rotten sinners, these terrible people that hate God, as we've talked about in Romans 1, we suppress the truth and we try to exchange the truth of God for lies and, and have all kinds of idols and so on and so forth. Well, God saved us from the wrath that we deserve and he made us his children of all things. Okay. And so therefore, we are part of his family. We receive blessings. Ultimately, that the greatest blessing is that we are children of God. We are in relationship with God. We certainly have the blessing of salvation from judgment. We will receive glorified bodies, glorified souls. There will be no more sorrows. All these wonderful things are part of our inheritance that God has graciously given to us. So let's look at a couple of passages here. Let's turn first to 1 Peter and chapter 1. First Peter 
and chapter 1. Now these verses are loaded with ideas, but uh, to our point then, First uh, Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven, <coughs> heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Note especially then verse 4. God has done all of this and has given us an inheritance. An inheritance that's not going to rot away. It's not going to be stolen by thieves. It's not going to get buried in some kind of avalanche or earthquake or get lost in the bottom of the sea. But an inheritance that will not ever go away, will not fade away, is incorruptible, undefiled. And it's waiting for us in heaven. And then, verse 5 says, not only is our inheritance waiting, but we are then protected. We are preserved until glory. And so God doesn't just send Jesus to to die for our sins. He doesn't just uh, let us live on our own. And he doesn't just give us the Spirit momentarily either. But the Spirit then preserves us. So if we're truly saved, we're not going to lose that. We are going to be ultimately in heaven as God's children receiving these blessings. Let's turn then to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And after uh, spending all this time talking about the blessings that we have received, he then finishes this really long sentence that begins in verse 3 in the Greek. And in verse 13 he says, In him, that is in Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So Paul's saying the same things here. The Spirit has sealed us, keeping us, preserving us for Uh, our uh, residence in heaven so that we can uh, receive the fullness of the inheritance. That fullness is not yet ours. We receive portion of it now, but we have to wait until Jesus comes back and then we will all be ushered into heaven, glorified bodies and souls, and at that point the fullness of all the blessings that Christ has secured will be for the people of God. And so we have some of it now, and even those who die in Christ have some of it at that point, but the fullness will not be until Christ returns. All right, well, the last two lines then, um, uh, the first one looks backward, the second one looks forward. So having been justified by his grace. Now, um, your translation may switch the order of these things a little bit, right? The New King James, notice, kind of mixes the last, uh, in this, um, in verse 7, the first two together. So that, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs, is how they put it together. Um, but anyway, looking at this part of it, having been justified by his grace. Now, justification takes place in the past, 
Okay? It happens when we first believe. So for some of us, maybe we have first believed just you know, a few years ago. For others of us, maybe it's been several decades. But it's at that point we are justified in the, in the past when we are converted. The Spirit changes our hearts. As we talked about last week, we're referencing Ephesians 2. We are dead in our sins. Hey, Ezekiel 36, he gave us new hearts and so on. Um, and so once the Spirit works in us, we are able to repent and believe. And when we do, then God declares us to be righteous at that point. That's our justification. Again, it happens in the past. We are declared to be righteous, not via anything we have done, right? Not by our works, as we see in verse 5, but according to Christ. His perfect obedience in our place and his atoning death in our place as our federal representative. So we talked about those ideas some last week. We've talked about it in Romans 1, especially verse 17. Right? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And so we spent some time talking about that recently as well. Now, uh, the Greek literally is worded this way. Having been justified by the grace of that one. Well, who is that one? Notice how the New King James just kind of fudges it and says, His grace <laughs> doesn't answer the question for us. And your translation may do the same. Uh, but the question is, is that one referring to Jesus or is it referring to the Father? What does Paul have in mind? Well, some people think it refers to Jesus, and so they will say that Paul is emphasizing the uniqueness of Christ. It is the grace of that one, of Christ, what he has done. Okay, remember back to chapter 2, verse 13, right, where it says the grace of God appeared. And so that's referring to Christ he is the grace of God, and it is only he that can uh, be our substitute. It is only he that has been perfect. Only Jesus is fit to die in our place. And so it's, we are justified by the grace of that one, what Jesus has done. Certainly that is true. Uh, others argue that it's referring to the Father. And the reason why they say that is because he has been the principal subject of these verses. Right? Verse 5 is the main point. Right, He saved us, referring to the Father. Right? Verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, right? according to his mercy, he saved us. And then in verse 6, he poured out upon us and so on. So we just continue the same subject, basically. And it's referring to the Father. Um. You know, this is one of those decisions like it, that no, no answer here is a wrong answer. <laughs> Both are true. Uh, it is the Father through the Son and even the Spirit that uh, we have been justified. Because without the Spirit, we can't believe. Without the Spirit, us way over here in Western PA can't be connected with Christ, all those miles and years uh, distant. Um, and so... Again, the, the mystery of the Trinity, I think, is coming up here. And, and so the grace of that one, we might just simply say, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, ultimately. If I were to put my foot down and say, which one is it? I would say it was the Father, just because of the consistency of the subjects throughout these verses. But uh, all of them uh, fit uh, here in this way. Um, so uh, let me read for you just a moment. This is from Romans 3. And in verse 24, 
Paul says, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, literally, right? Justified freely by the grace of that one. And that one clearly, this verse clearly is referring to the Father. And so if Romans 3 can give us some guidance, it would point us to the Father in this case. But ultimately, uh, the point is pretty straightforward. We've been justified by his grace. And he has done that so that we would become heirs. We'd be saved from judgment and we would be children of God. All right, now one last uh, thought here on this line. The having been language here is um, important. It, Paul doesn't just say you were justified, a past action. It's that he says you have been justified. And in the Greek, the, the difference is important because it's referring not merely to a past action, but a past action that has ongoing effects that affect us into the present and even into the future in this case. And so the actions of Christ 2,000 years ago, the action of our justification that happened whenever we believed, however many years ago, the effects of that action continue till today. We enjoy the blessings of justification now. And so when God sees us, when we stumble and we fall into verse 3 again and those sinful things, or as we talked about this morning, when we suppress the truth about God, even as true believers, and we replace God with something in this world that we think is going to satisfy us, God still sees us as perfect in his sight. Not because we are in our practice, but because he sees us in Christ. We are declared to be righteous and perfect and holy because of Jesus, even on our worst days. Nothing changes that. And so we have been justified by the grace of our God. And so when God relates to us, he is no longer angry. We are forgiven. We are his children. Now, like any father, he may become displeased with us because of our sinful behavior, but he's not going to reject us ultimately. And so this grace, then, applies to us today, and it applies to us eternally, and it will continue until heaven and forever. God will always treat us this way. So therefore, when you're standing at line in Walmart, and that uh, person that is ahead of you in line or something like that, and they are clearly not a believer, and you... You know, maybe you're a bit offended that you have to be next to them in line. Remember what God has done for us and relate to that person in a loving and humble and kind way. That's his point here in this section. <clears throat> All right. Well, as always, we can say much on each of these things. Let's look at the last line then. According to the hope of eternal life. As I've said already, our justification, our inheritance is not yet full and complete. Okay? We are declared to be righteous in God's sight, but we're not fully vindicated until Christ comes back. Okay? Our inheritance is 
given to us. We enjoy parts of it now, but we will not enjoy all of it until heaven. And so we are hoping for, we are waiting for, we are looking forward to the return of Christ. He came the first time, right? Verse 4, we're waiting for his return now. Verse 7, we hope for it, we yearn for it. And so, back to chapter 2 and verse 13, for the grace of uh, God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, verse 11, okay, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he appeared the first time, we're looking forward to his second coming. Now you might remember, um, it was maybe a couple months ago now since I did this, uh, but in verse 13, I used the analogy of the pirates winning streak. Okay, And you might remember that they were on pace to win, what was it, 105 games or something like that. Okay. <clears throat> Things have changed, haven't they? <laughs> I said, hope is not wishful thinking. You know, wishful thinking is the pirates will end up winning 100 games. Well, <laughs> they're under 500 right now. Okay. But in comparison, right, our hope for Christ's return is not wishful thinking. Our hope for eternal life and, and the heavenly inheritance is not wishful thinking. It's a sure thing because Christ's work is finished. Christ's work has been accepted by the Father. The Spirit has poured upon us. The Spirit has applied Christ's work to us and united us to Christ. And because the Father has saved us from his wrath through Jesus our Savior, nothing's going to change these things for the true believer and so we are looking forward confidently expectantly to Christ's coming and the eternal life in its fullness so though we were sinners verse 3 God saved us verse 5 and we will live forever in heaven with him verse 7 it's not because we've been good enough it's because God has graciously come to us and changed our hearts and we've believed on Christ and he has given us these blessings. These blessings that have begun already but the fullness awaits us in glory. And so like children who are awaiting their inheritance, okay, let's wait with eager expectation. Let's rest in the reality that it's going to be ours someday. And so this amazing, gracious, merciful work of God on our behalf, okay, which, of course, we deserve none of it, is what uh, gives us great comfort and great confidence and great, if you will, a great push to drive us unto godly living. All right, let's turn here then to uh, Revelation chapter 21 have uh, one passage here with these thoughts in this last line. In Revelation 21, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1, God says to John, hear these things. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now remember, that's referring to us. We are the bride. We are the city. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You see, this is our ultimate inheritance. We are with God. Relationship. That's the greatest part of the whole inheritance, is that relationship. Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. There are other blessings too, like no more suffering. But again, our greatest uh, blessing is relationship with God. Okay, then verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You see that he's going to inherit all things, and the primary thing that he emphasizes is, right, relationship with God. So like the Levites, who did not receive temporal land like the rest of Israel, they received relationship with God, so too for all believers, ultimately. And then the contrast, verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's their end. But in the meantime, we are to relate respectfully to the people around us, even if they're unbelievers. It doesn't mean we condone their sin or anything like that. We were to re- relate to them well. Submit to the rulers. Submit to your authorities. Be obedient people. Be ready for every good work. Control your tongues. Be peaceable, gentle, and humble. These are the words Paul gave us in verses 1 and 2. Okay. Simply we're to love our neighbors. We are to be salt and light. We are to transform the culture for Christ. We are to be good citizens as God sees it. In general, we are to be godly in all that we do. So again, we can take these words and we can abstract them and we can learn many things from it. But let's keep it in its context. And this is the message that he wants us to hear. And so next time, here, Lord willing, we'll look at verse 8. And uh, possibly into verse 9, we'll see. Uh, And we'll see Paul giving us this summary idea and putting it all together uh, here for us. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your amazing grace that you have lavished upon us. As we talked about this morning, we are so... um, so prone to idolatry and sin and, and, and replacing you with something else. And even as your children, we'd, we'd rather be in charge and, and all these sinful things. Um, but your grace is greater than all of our sin. And we are so thankful for this, Lord. And so may it motivate us to give you the worship and praise you deserve and to give you thanks but may it also motivate us to live lives of godliness and holiness in, in every way, but especially as we live in society, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to the store, 
and in all that we do here in the next uh, couple days probably many of us will will be out in public watching fireworks celebrating the uh, independence of our nation and so forth and um, Lord by your spirit strengthen us to to keep these words uh, here in these ways and so we pray all these things then in Jesus name amen